0: I think about lifting high the name of Jesus in worship and and lifting him high I feel the age in my tendons as they won't let my hands turn higher to push him higher because he was crucified on the cross for our sake he was dead and buried and then in his amazing power he raised himself from the dead and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God the Father speaking on our behalf and so we should. We should strain to reach higher and higher and higher and lift our Savior Jesus higher and higher. That should be us, church. Hey, go ahead and have the seat. And uh, as you do, we're continuing on in this two week mini series as we push the pause button on our journey through the book of Philippians. And um, we're in Philippians. I just want to remind you if you're new with us today, we're in the book of Philippians and we had just a couple of weeks ago finished chapter 1 and we came to the book of Philippians because it is a it is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church called Philippi and in it he says the word joy or rejoice many many times 15 times I believe and it's a joyous joyous letter. And so why did we come to Philippians? Why rejoice? Well, as the elders and the staff sat this past summer and we, and we wrestled over prayer requests that had been given um, to us to pray over, um, anxiety was a, was a constant theme. Worry was a constant theme. Fear was a constant theme that seemed to thread through the prayer requests that we had That we were seeing. And so we thought, okay, well, there's the Lord clearly um, giving us direction as, as to what He would have us to preach over the next nine months or so. And so in September, we began our journey through the book of Philippians, looking at Paul rejoicing for so many different reasons. The Lord has provided us so many, so many reasons to be rejoicing in Him and who He is and what He's doing in our own personal lives and then in the life of the church. And uh, so, anxiety. Last week, uh, we had finished chapter 1. Last week, Jasper began preaching um, on anxiety. And today, I'm going to, it's part 2, hope for the anxious heart. And we're going to call it a redefined focus today. Um, but we're going to continue on through our look at, at, at what the Bible has to say about anxiety. And uh, Jasper gave you three t- takeaways last week, and this is what they were. He says, I want, he says, this is what I want for you, church. I want you to trust more in God than I want my anxiety to stop. Some of us, anxiety has actually become the idol itself in seeing, seeing our lives being rid of what anxiety is. And so, so Jasper went after it, and he said, and, and he reminded us, our desire should be more for God and what He wants for us than what we want for us in the removal of anxiety. So that was the first one. He, and then he suggested that we start treating our anxiety like it's a habit, not like it's a cold to be addressed Um, is something to to treat, but as a habit, is something to start reprogramming our minds um, to go after in a different way, instead of focusing on the anxiety itself, starting to treat it as though it's a habit to be rid of. Um, And then the third is this, that we would change our hope, that we would allow God's love and power to bring us peace rather than our need to have control in our lives. So there may be overlap. Some of the things you heard Jasper share last week, you'll likely hear from me. Um, But as he referred to what the secular world would have to say about how to reprogram the the mind, he calls it, well, well, they call it um, CBD, uh, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and um, and this is what we want to call it, taking every thought captive. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, that we are to have our minds renewed. Uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we need to have our mind renewed. And I don't know about you, but for me, as I think about what it takes to have the mind renewed, I can't read something one time and expect that it's going to sink in and make a change in my life. I need to hear it over and over and over and over again. And so Paul's encouragement in Romans chapter 12 is just that, that we need to have our minds renewed. What is God's will for our life? Well, for some of us, anxiety is a necessary piece of the Lord getting our attention to turn our focus to Him. That by testing, we would know what the will of God is. I know this, the Lord does not intend for you to have anxiety in your life, but He's using it to get your attention, to turn your focus to Him. The renewal of the mind that we would be able to, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, take every thought captive. There are strongholds in our lives. There are things that make us anxious, that, that the anchor of those things thinks has sunk deep into the soil beneath our feet and won't let us get away. Now, I don't know what these strongholds are in your life, but I know what they are in mine, and I know this, that the Word of God... Um, has the absolute power to dig that anchor up, to cut you free from it, and release you from the very thing that would cause you to worry and be anxious in your life. So listen to this. Look at at what A.W. Tozer says um, as it relates to renewing our mind. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Without a doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God, and the weightiest word in any language is its word for God. Now, when I think about that, we've shared this before, what comes into your mind when you think about God? Here's the great danger, that we're tempted to let life determine for us what we believe about God instead of letting God determine for us what we believe about God. So, so think about the things that, that comes into your life. How how have you permitted that to tell you, to teach you about who God is? So, for example, let's say an illness hits your family. If you're not focused on the fullness of who God is, here's what will happen. Your thoughts of who God is are reduced, and you've made this thing to be an idol and, and, and you determining who God is based on what has happened to you instead of letting God declare the fullness of who He is. So you've decided based on this little piece right here, well, well, God cannot be a God of love because He would have not permitted this to come into my life. And so therefore, I see God as being this instead of a God of love who is in complete control of everything that happens to me. What we think about who God is is so critical. It's so critical. And that's what we want to do today, church. We want to have our minds renewed by the Word of God because we don't want want to let the anxieties of life to press in on us and teach us about who God is. We want to let the Word of God teach us about who He is. We cannot let life teach us about who God is. We must let God's Word teach us about who He is. All right, so let me have a little bit of fun with you. Yesterday, Caden and I were on a drive, and um, we were, he was talking about haunted houses, and of course, Halloween is this Thursday, and I don't know what you think about it, and right now that's really not a matter to be considered. Um, but haunted house. There's this house called the, the McKamey House, I believe that's how it's pronounced, in Tennessee. And here's what, here's what you'll get if you make it through this haunted house. You will get $20,000. Anyone that makes it through will get $20,000 if they can make it through the, the haunted house. It's like eight to ten hours long, and it's full of everything that would frighten a person. You have to. There's a 40-page release form that you have to read through, and you have to sign at the end saying, I will not come after these people for what's about to happen to me in this. Not only that, you have to have a note from your doctor that says that you are in good enough health to experience what you're about to experience. You have to pass a physical exam that proves you are physically capable of actually making it through this haunted house. Eight to ten hours long. No one has ever made it through. No one has ever made it through because of how frightening the experience is. I don't know what yours would be but I imagine the Temple of Doom, when Indiana Jones, he rushes into that room and the ceiling starts to, to lower, and I see myself laying on a floor being, being pushed down, smashed, and then they decide, okay, we can't kill the guy, so we're going to turn the switch off. And while I'm being smashed, I hear water starting to trickle into the room, and it starts rising. That's when I would quit. They're the kind of things that exist in this haunted house because they don't want to lose their $20,000, and it's all about frightening the individual. It's all about it. And at the end, you have to say something silly like this. This was the biggest mistake of my life. He ate my lunch. He took my lunch money. You should never, ever do this. It was the biggest mistake of my life. And so you can watch videos of person after person. One guy is smashed between two bed springs. His face is pushed back, and he is breathing the, this, this statement out that you have to make when you can't make it. Why do people do that? Why do people want to be frightened? Well, listen, let me have a little more fun with you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, a little, well, not quite two weeks ago, our number four grandchild was brought into this world, and her name is Lila. And so the whole family, there's like 15 people gathered around, and uh, we're, everyone's passing the baby around. And uh, I was like, Caden, come on now, he's my 16-year-old. I said, you need to hold your niece. He did not want to hold her for a couple of different reasons. Number one, he's, he's afraid of what would happen. He's afraid of this, this tiny little fragile baby. And number two, everyone's watching. We forced her into his hands. And so he's sitting there, and I'm sitting next to him, and and I'm watching him, and he's starting to turn pale in his face, and his heart is really starting to race. And so I put my hand on his chest, and I said, this is really freaking you out, isn't it? He said, yeah, it is. His heart was pounding out of his chest, and I wiped his forehead, and his forehead was wet with perspiration that had come on him really fast anxiety anxieties that come into our lives now while we can have fun with that here's what i know it would be fun if we would just stand, spend the next half hour or 45 minutes talking about the fun things that bring us anxiety but that's not why we're here today there are some real and deep seated anxiety issues in our lives that we need to face. I believe some of you, even when I say the word anxiety, it, it brings you worry and anxiousness because your head goes to these things in your life that you want to, you need to be released from, but you can't. It's almost become this pet that you can't let go of. You embrace it and you want to let it go, but you can't. It's become so much of who you are. And my temptation is to want to do this. I want to say, okay, church, let's take this box of anxiety, and let's sit it over in the corner, and let's let the Word of God just wash over us right now, and let's let's experience a moment of just encouragement and comfort and peace. But we can't do that. We can't. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Let's take that box of anxiety, and let's walk to the feet of Jesus— And let's drop it at his feet and say, Jesus, I want you to take care of this because I cannot win with it in my arms. I have failed over and over and over again. It's your turn, Jesus. I want you to take this, and I want you to take your yoke, please, that you say is so light and is so easy, and I want you to put it on me. I want to come to you and experience the peace and the rest that comes from the life-transforming relationship that you can have with Jesus Christ that will put aside every fear and anxiety and no longer let it rule over you. I don't know. Anxiety is not a trivial matter. I get that. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's sick family members. Maybe, maybe you are so controlled by your own personal appearance Your fear of man. You can't stand the way your hair looks today. You can't stand the way your face looks today. You don't like the way you look or you feel. And that has you frightened to death to walk out into public because you don't like your image that you cast. Maybe it's a wayward child or even the fear of death. Maybe it's some past experience you had that you cannot be rid of. Well, look at what Charles Spurgeon has to say about things like this. The mind, tell me if this describes you, the mind can descend far lower than the body. For in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more. But the soul can bleed 10,000 ways and die over and over and over again. Your body can only take so many lashings, so many cuts, before you bleed out and die. But your soul, your soul, when it is taken captive by those things, those anxieties that press you down, Your your soul can bleed 10,000 ways and die over and over again. And Jesus says, I can release you from all of that. I can release you from it. Any anxiety left unchecked will turn into this. Oh, the compound nature of anxiety. It will cause your soul to bleed in so many ways. Here's one for example. I had a friend of mine, lives in Arizona. He's from Lansing. I met him yesterday in Lansing, and he said, hey, man, can you, um, I I fly out tomorrow morning, which was this morning. I fly out this morning, and I need a ride to the airport. Do you mind if I come and spend the night, my daughter and I, at your house, and then you bring me to the airport? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. When do you need to be there? He said, well, we'll need to leave your house at like quarter after 4 or 4 or 4.30 in the morning. And I'm like, well, no, wait a minute. I preach. I preach tomorrow. You know what the Lord said? Hey, I want you to love me, and I want you to love others. And here's… I have these perfectionistic tendencies that are driven by a routine, and if I'm out of my routine, I don't know how to make things perfect. And so my Sunday morning is typically this. I'm preach Sunday, I get up at five o'clock in the morning, I get my coffee poured, I spend time in the Word praying, I look over my sermon, I go take a shower, I come to the work. My life is one transition after another on Sunday mornings when when it comes time to preach. And see, I don't even know where I'm going after this. Like, I'm worried about the next transition. And He's asking me to do this for Him. And the Lord says, I want you to love me, and I want you to love others, and you can love him by doing this for him, and you entrust the rest to me. And so that's what I'm doing right now. My transitions were all thrown off this morning. That's unrighteous anxiety. And Jesus says, I want you to seek first my kingdom. And I want you to seek my righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And my great hope for you, church, is this, and my prayer is this, that today is a day where you stop fixating on those things that bring you anxiety, and I want you to turn your focus and fix it on Jesus Christ, the one who was able to deal with it. So we're going to pray to that end, okay? Lord, when I think about the things that plague this church, oh, Lord, I'm broken. I pray that today would be a day of freedom for the anxious heart. Lord, that you would dive in and you would prove yourself faithful over and over again to this church. Lord, wipe away all anxieties. Draw them to your feet, a place of great safety and comfort and peace. Declare your word today in a mighty, mighty way. I pray, Lord, that your church would hear you speak. Get your glory today through your word. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Transitions. Here we are. What's next? Jesus is well into his Sermon on the Mount. If you want to, you can turn there now, now, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is well into his Sermon on the Mount, about two-thirds of the way through when he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. He says that. And I wonder, and this is one of my great concerns right now, is that I misrepresent who Jesus is as he's declaring his truth on the Sermon on the Mount. So he's about two-thirds of the way through when he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. He had already said some hard things to those that were sitting and listening to him like this countercultural message we're going to go deeper than just adultery I know you think I've remained pure all my life I've never had an affair with anyone and Jesus says but if you thought a lustful thought you've committed adultery in your heart already you're no different than the adulterer wow that cuts to the core of the one who has a hard time with his thought life. And Jesus said it. And Jesus also said, hey, listen, if you're angry, you are no different. If you are a man or a woman that struggles with his or her anger, you are no different than the one that would put a gun to someone's head and pull the trigger. You're a murderer in your heart if you are angry. That cuts to the heart of the individual that has a problem with anger. And then he says, if someone comes up to you and they punch you square in the face, I want you to let them do it again and do not retaliate. They're really, really hard truths to take. I cannot imagine someone coming up to me and smacking me on the cheek and me, with graciousness, permitting them to continue to abuse me like they did Jesus on the cross. And then he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. And I bet there are people in here right now that say, I've read this passage a thousand times and it's not done anything to change my life. I'm still anxious. I don't like starting with the command. Now think about it. With your kids, do you like saying, it's time for you to do this right now? Or do you try, are you, especially those with teenagers, do you try and find the easy way into the command, like like declaring the good stuff first and setting them up to receive the command so they don't jump on you? I don't like starting with the command, but Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, He says, listen, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. And this is where I'm so afraid I'm going to misrepresent Jesus. And so I'm asking that you take this passage, you wrestle over it and wrestle over it and you wrestle over it. And you read about what Jesus had to say to those that were sitting listening to him on the Sermon on the Mount. And you, you try and hear Jesus speaking the truth because I do not want to misrepresent it, because I believe he was kind and compassionate in his delivery. I believe that he was gracious and merciful in his delivery, but yet I believe he was direct. And so he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. And so he set them up. As he makes this command, he has set them up to receive the truth of the the word that he is about to well, hold on, bear with me a second. He has set them up with the, with the verses, six verses before that, to receive that command. And this is what he says, verses 19 to 24. You have them in front of you, and there are three things that he points to. Ways to address your anxiety. Avoiding anxiety. He says, where is your treasure? Do not store up for yourself treasures on, heaven, on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, he says, I want you to store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And he says, because this is why, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And then he goes on to say, hey, your eye is a lamp to your body. And so in other words, whatever you decide to set your focus on, your gaze on, whatever that is, is what's going to, if it's something of light, if it's something of the kingdom of God, it's going to bring light to the inside of you. But if you continue to fix your eyes on the things of this world, darkness, then how great is the darkness of the one inside of you? Or, or, or how great is the darkness that is inside of you? So where's your treasure? Your treasure must be in the right place. Your eyes must be looking to the right things. And then he goes on to say, hey, listen, I also want you to know you cannot serve two masters. Either you are going to love the one and hate the other. You're going to love the one and hate the other. And he says, there is no room for anything else in your life aside from me. You must serve me. You must serve God alone. Where is your treasure? What are you looking for? Is it God alone that, you, that has the central place in your heart? My grandfather, on his, on his um, headstone, on the back of his headstone it says, Look up. And it's a constant reminder for me when I think about those words that my grandfather had put on his, on his tombstone, um, on his headstone. My, my temptation is to look at the things of this world and build up my own treasure here on earth. My temptation is to look at the things of this world and find my satisfaction in them. My temptation is to make the, on the seat of the throne of my heart something other than God. And, and my grandfather's great reminder is look up. Our focus should be completely on the Lord Jesus. On the Lord Jesus. Treasure. Maybe your treasure is relief from anxiety. What are you looking for? Maybe you're looking for re- relief from anxiety. What's on the throne of your heart right now? Maybe it's relief from your anxiety. but That's not the answer. Your treasure, your treasure is Jesus. Your treasure is where your eyes are to be looking. And you must serve God alone. And so, verses 19 to 24... He has set us up to receive His command to say, Therefore, already, you have no reason to worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, because I've already told you how not to be anxious, but there's more. So let's read verses 25 to 34 together. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so, if 19 to 24 wasn't enough for you, Jesus gives us three more things. Three more things that we want to focus on today, okay? And here's the first one. Three more truths to focus on. Focus on God's faithfulness. In verse 26, he says, Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. The birds don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field, he says. Look. Consider. Focus on God's faithfulness. I read an account of a corporate executive whose family life and his work life had so consumed him that in his young 30s, he had a heart attack, and his doctor's prescription was this. I want you to go and I want you to sit on a park bench for one hour every day. This man had spent his entire life to that point running from one thing to the next, where his home life and his work life and his play life had had created such a hardship for him, such anxieties in his life that he had a heart attack. And his prescription was, I want you to go sit in a park bench and I don't want you to do anything. Don't take a book. Don't take your phone. Just sit there. And so the guy did. You know what he never considered? He had realized what he had stopped considering and looking for, the simple, faithful expressions of God toward him in his life. After a week, he said to the doctor, this isn't doing anything. And he said, keep doing it. And and as he kept doing it, he started hearing things that he had forgotten what they sounded like. He started seeing things that he had forgotten what they looked like. He He started recognizing the birds in the air and the lilies of the field. And he started considering how God and His faithfulness had provided for him over and over and over again. Church, what... What do you see and what do you hear in those quiet moments of life? What happens when you sit and you don't do anything but think? Where does your mind go? Does it go to the faithfulness of God or does it go to the hardship of your life? Because if your focus is not on the faithfulness of God, your box of anxiety is going to continue to grow and, your, and who Jesus is is going to continue to shrink. And you will never be rid of your anxiety. Here's one for you. Go to the beach, and I want you to sit there for an hour, and I want you to name the seagulls. Name them. Say, this seagull over here is an expression of God's faithfulness because He has called my sons into relationship with Him. I don't know what to name. That's a big name. I want you to name this seagull. God has provided for me through this job for years. I want you to name this seagull, and I want you to name them. I want you to look, I want you to go next spring when when the fields are blossoming, and I want you to start naming flowers. Faithfulness of God expressed to you. Set aside the anxieties of life and the worries of life. Name them. Name them each. Verse 27 says, Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Who can do that? No one can do that. Here's what Jesus is saying. Your anxieties, they rob life. I am the giver of life. You want to look at these things that make you anxious? You want them to be the focus of your life? Well, then guess what? You're not living life to the fullest. Jesus says, look to me. I am the giver of life. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Some of you are running 110 miles an hour trying to escape those things that bother you. I'm saying it's time to stop running and let's sit down and let's focus on the faithfulness of God and let them wipe away the things that bring anxiety into our lives. God is faithful, church. Here's another one for you. Number two, focus on God's love. Verse 26, he says, as he's talking about the birds of the air, now they don't sow or reap or store away in barns. He goes on to say, are you not much more valuable than they? You are much more valuable than they. When he's talking about the lilies of the field, he says, will he not much more clothe you? I tend to see myself as, well, let me ask it this way. What do you believe to be the lowliest of creatures on the face of the earth? We could name them all. As a matter of fact, Jasper had pictures of some last week, spiders and snakes and on and on, worms. But here's what, I, here's what I realize. When I think about that, when the question was posed to me like 20 years ago, I really wrestled over that. And I, here's what I realized. Those things are just doing what they do. Some people hate seagulls because they're scavengers. I love seagulls because I'm from the middle of Pennsylvania, and to hear seagulls, was that brought me peace because it meant I was on vacation. But here's what I learned. I am the lowliest creature on the face of the earth. I'm not doing what I was created to do. I was created to be in a loving relationship with my Lord and Savior, and I don't always do that. I don't pursue that loving relationship. Worms do what they do. Seagulls do what they do. They were created to do those things. We don't do what we were created to do. And so this is where my head starts to spin and spiral. You know what I focus on? Shame. Shame. Shame on you, Todd. Shame on you. Shame on you. Um, do you know, I got to sit down for this one. You know the song Kodachrome by Paul Simon. I shared this with the rescue mission last week. He says, when I think back to all the crap I learned in high school, you know what? I'm like, right on, Paul. But I don't think about classrooms when I think of that. I think about all the crap I learned in high school. And then the next verse goes like this. If I were to take all the girls I knew when I was single and have them together for just one night. I heard that song on the radio as we were going to listen to a message on shame from Jasper two weeks before. And I thought, what a moron Paul Simon would be to have all the girls he knew when he was single together for just one night. And you know where I was driven? I was driven to the corner in shame, balled up. Because if you were to take all the relationships I had with girls and friends from high school and parents and brothers, and they were able to sit together for just one night and talk about me, oh my goodness, the things they would tell How shameful. How shameful. And then I try and look at myself before the Creator God. I can't. I can't do it. But you know what he says? He says in Isaiah, Goodness, this is a good one. Some of us are driven by dragging this sled of shame and anxiety around. Anxiety that's driven by thinking about who we are before God. For my life, so many years, I thought, I'm not saved because of who I am. I'm not saved because of who I am. I'm not saved because of what I did. I was fearful of Christ's return. And then he says in Isaiah 41, he says, I took you from the ends of the earth... He says, from its farthest corners, I called to you. And he says, I have chosen you and not rejected you. He says, therefore, do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed, for I am your God. I will be there to strengthen you. I will be there to help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here's the deal, church. It doesn't matter what you look like, because apart from God, you to put it quite bluntly, are a wretch. That's what we are. When you stand before the holy God and you look at yourself, you are nothing, nothing, nothing apart from Him. No one does righteous, no, not one. But that's the wrong, wrong, wrong focus. The right focus is Jesus, the one who has called to you With your eyes fixed on Him, knowing that at the cross He took care of all of your shame, there's nothing to drag around anymore because you are in relationship with Him. And He has given you right standing before Him. No longer. There should be no longer anything that you're dragging around that would cause you shame. And that shame should no longer cause you any anxiety because He has made it right at the cross. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, church. He says, listen, you need to be no longer anxious for your past, because he says, hey, no matter how messy your past was, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I have overcome it. Rest in his grace. It's not about how you see you, it's about how you see Jesus. And it really stings when he says, if you worry, you are of little faith. Oh, you of little faith, he says. Tough truth. If Jesus says you worry and you're anxious, you are of little faith. First Peter chapter 5 says, cast all your cares and anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. God is faithful. God is loving. These are the things that we should focus on. Hope for, the, hope for the anxious heart is fixed when your focus is on the right thing, not on your anxiety. Let's look at this third one. Focus on the provider, not the provision. We've got to run now, okay? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or drink or about your body and what you shall wear? Verse 32 says, For the Gentiles, they seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. He knows what you need, so as you pop open your box of anxieties, He knows how to address every single one of them. Even the Gentiles, even those that are apart from Christ, know how to run after those things, but He says this, you're you're supposed to focus on the provider, focus on me, and not the provision, trusting that the provision will be taken care of by Him. And so here's the right perspective. All right, Lord, what do I need from You, not... All right, Lord, this is what I need from You. Let me say that again. Here's the right perspective. All right, Lord, what do I need from You? Not, all right, Lord, this is what I need from You. We are not the one to declare what we need. He is. And so we seek first His kingdom. He knows that you need them, so seek first His kingdom, verse 33, and His righteousness and let Him take care of all those things that you need. Where is your treasure? Look back at verses 19 to 24. Hey that's, hey, that's where to look, into the kingdom of heaven, where your treasure is supposed to be. Focus on the provider and not the provision, and I have one more for you. Lay it down. It's time to lay it down. Look at the last verse there in this passage, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is another opportunity for God to get His glory through you. Hey, Here's what He's saying. You have enough to deal with tomorrow. The compound nature of anxiety is overwhelming. And so... Caden was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of two. And I walk into the doc- doctor's office with Wendy as the doctor is laying out. This, is, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And I'm watching this little two-year-old toddle around, wondering when he's going to fall over, when he's going to fall over, fall over thinking, what's going to happen in the future? And you know what Jesus says? Hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Let's deal with what we have in our plates right now because this is what happens. You have before you, as you are running through the course of life, you have before you right now a clear and, and, and unhindered path between you and the eternal kingdom. You worry, tree pops up. You focus on that tree. I can't hit that tree. I got to miss that tree. That tree of anxiety to me is diabetes. And if I focus on that tree of anxiety for far too long, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to see my son when he's who knows how old, losing his feet. I'm going to see my son over here losing his vision. I'm going to see my son not being able to feel his fingers anymore. Trees of anxiety popping up all around, all because I didn't know how to address this one single one right here in the moment. The compound nature of anxiety is overwhelming and will be debilitating if you don't take care of the root issue. And what Jesus is saying right now is, lay it down, lay it down, lay it down. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. I'm going to be there too. And let the Lord take care of the trees before you with your eyes fixed on him, and he will maneuver your path through all of those things that bring you trouble. Some of you have been running for 110 miles an hour trying to hide from your anxiety. Getting caught up in the business of this world, you cannot run from your own worries, and they must be dealt with. If our faith is not put to the test, our anxiety will never be addressed. I think about those guys. I think about the extreme athletes. So let's start with this. I'm going to jump out of an airplane. I'm going to jump out of an airplane um, tandem with a guy on my back that knows what he's doing safe. All right, that was great. That's not enough anymore. That doesn't scare me anymore. It doesn't get me excited anymore. So now I want to do it on my own. All right, great. I did it on my own. Now I want to go higher. All right, that didn't work. Okay, now you hear about this guy? I'm going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute and see if I can land in a net. He did it. That's not enough. I'm going to put on a squirrel suit, and I'm going to fly through valleys risking my life, all because what I did last no longer works. It no longer brings me excitement. It, the anxiety has been rubbed off. For me, the, the picture that Jasper showed with the guy standing and holding the guy over the skyscraper, like hundreds of feet up, for me, just getting my toes to the edge, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But the more I go to the edge, the less frightening it is It's exactly the same way when it comes to addressing your anxieties. You will never be rid of your anxieties. You will always drag them around if you never face them. So if you don't like going out in public, guess what you got to do? you got to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to put myself in a position where I have to trust in You and let You prove Yourself faithful and loving and provide for me the protection I need as I walk out into public. And so you go out and you're like 30 seconds you spent 30 seconds in public and you run back into your house and like it was a victory. And then and then you go out and you're like you say all right lord I'm going to do it again. I need to train myself that you are trustworthy. And so I'm going to I'm going to I'm actually going to go to the mall today. I'm going to get out of my car and I'm going to walk inside and I'm going to. You know the process I'm talking about. Whatever the thing is, whatever that anxious issue is in your life that needs to be dealt with, you have to face it. Because if you don't face it, you'll never give Jesus the opportunity to prove himself faithful, to prove himself loving, and to prove himself a provider. He says, lay it down. Lay it down. All right, real practically, we're way out of time. Where is your focus, church? The only hope you have for being rid of the things that bring you anxiety is in the face of Jesus Christ and sitting at His feet. Okay? I want to share real practically and real quick. You ready? I'm going to give five passages that have been enormous to me in my life. As I watched inside of two years, my grandfather die, my best friend die, and then add insult to injury, watch my dog die, and then my wife die, and my brother in law die and my niece die. This is all inside of two years so this, this comes from a little bit of experience when I say these passages, when you focus on them and you let them wash over you, they will give you freedom because you are training your, you're training your mind to look and see and be in the right place and not on these things that bring you anxiety. Number one, Psalm 40, I waited patiently on the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry, Psalm 40. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and He set my feet on a rock and He gave me a firm place to stand. I'm telling you right now, as you wait patiently on the Lord, He will respond. He will lift you out of that mud and mire. You hear me refer to Psalm 139. Write that one down. He knows us. He knows everything about us. He created us. He will, not leave us, he will not permit us to walk alone. Where can I go from your spirit, David says. He realizes nowhere I can go from the spirit of God. Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah writes to Israel as they're sitting in captivity after watching friends and family get slaughtered and starved to death. And he says to them, hey, listen, relax. I want you to settle down. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and they're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So settle down. I've got this. He will bring you through the mess, and He will put you in the right place. Isaiah 41, 8-10, I already referred to it. Isaiah 41, 8-10. I took you from the ends of the earth. He brought you into relationship with Him. You have no reason to fear. And this is the last one, okay? Colossians 2, 8 to 10, and this one's a really big deal, so I'm going to say the whole thing, okay? Therefore, since you have accepted, therefore, since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, and so that is the key. Have you accepted Christ Jesus Lord to be your personal Savior? Accepted Christ Jesus as Lord. Once you have continued to live in Him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And then he goes on to say, see to it, you're in Jesus now, see to it that nothing of this world, the basic principles of this world, which depend on human tradition, don't be taken captive by those things because you are filled with all the fullness of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is in your life. Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Let's focus on God's faithfulness, church. Let's put aside our anxiety. Let's focus on God's love through Jesus Christ. Let's put away our anxiety. Let's focus on every single good thing that he has provided for us and let's put aside our anxiety. Oh, Lord Jesus, that we would focus on you and leave the petty challenges of this life behind. Do a mighty work in the heart of the one, Lord, that has such a hard time releasing anxiety. Prove yourself faithful to them, Lord. Call them to trust in you and put themselves out there so that you would Prove yourself to them. We pray this in Jesus' name.